Hi everyone, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. I cover all eras of film, including the 1980s and other film eras as well, the 70s, the 90s, etc. At Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to remind you that I do another podcast that covers brand new movies out in theaters. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. You can find a link to it on my website at Quipster.net. Just remember, Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Today we're going to be continuing on with the second of the films in which there are dangerous games, dangerous video games to be more precise. Last week it was War Games, this week we're going to follow this up with a film that came out a year after that. From 1984, we're talking about Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger is the film that stars Henry Thomas and Dabney Coleman. It's a PG-rated film because of some violence, some pretty strong violence for a PG film. The runtime is an hour and 41 minutes. Christina Nigra, Michael Murphy, William Forsyth, Jeanette Nolan, John McIntyre are in the film. Richard Franklin is the director. The screenplay is credited to Tom Holland. Now, Cloak and Dagger is a guilty pleasure film for many people. If you were a child in the 1980s, you probably actually have fond memories of watching this. People who did not grow up in the 80s probably, if they've even heard of this film, probably would look at this film as kind of a curious oddity that is definitely very 80s and maybe not understand why some people cherish it in their own way. And like most children's films that came out around the same period, it does have a cheesy charm. It's not really what I would consider to be a truly good film, but it's one of those good-natured films that you end up kind of liking anyway because of what it has to offer. It's definitely a very 80s film. It's derivative, Hitchcocky and plotting. It's mixed with standard thriller elements. And there are many things that only really make sense in the Spielbergian world of childlike fantasy that you would find in the mid-1980s. Now, most people probably wouldn't know from watching this film that it's actually very loosely based on a 1947 story that was originally by the great noir writer Cornell Woolrich. That story was entitled The Boy Cried Murder, also known as Fire Escape. In that story, a young boy lives in this fantasy world. He witnesses a murder that no one else will believe. Now, Hollywood has made this film before, 1949's The Window, 1966's The Boy Cried Murder, but the reasons why this 1984 version of it has become a bit of a cult film really comes from those elements that make it uniquely a 1980s film. It's constant references to Atari games and Dungeons and Dragons type role-playing games, both of those very popular among the youth of the time. Now in this film, Henry Thomas, who by the way was born and raised in the city of San Antonio where the film is set, he stars as a young boy, 12 years old I guess, named Davy. He's coping with the death of his beloved mother. He has a father who's a pilot, and he spends a good deal of time away from the house. So he only really has a couple of friends. He spends a lot of his time entertaining himself with his own active imagination, especially in the escapist world of video games or pen and paper adventures, army men. He makes up a lot of spy scenarios of his own, along with his friend Kim, played by Christina Nigra. Now, many of his fantasies involve his imaginary friend, a fearless super spy known as Jack Flack. Jack Flack in this film is played by Dabney Coleman, who happens to be the spitting image of his father, save for a spiffy mustache, overcoat, and stylish beret. By the way, Dabney Coleman also plays Davy's father in this film, so a little bit of duality here for Coleman. For a good reason, father and son story, you'll find out if you see this film why. Davy soon becomes embroiled in a spy plot of his own, 
A dying FBI agent hands over an Atari 5200 cartridge for a game called Cloak and Dagger. It contains top secret information from the government that some bad guys are killing for. No one believes Davy except for Kim and, of course, Jack Flack, the imaginary friend. So he's forced to have to defend himself from the murderous assassins, the real-life murderous assassins, on his own. Now, Cloak and Dagger was directed by the self-proclaimed student of Alfred Hitchcock. His name is Richard Franklin. He directed Road Games. He is also working here with screenwriter Tom Holland. Both of them came off of the sequel to Psycho called Psycho 2 that came out a couple of years before. Now, as far as this one goes, you might call it Hitchcock for kids. There are many standard elements of the master that creep in here. You have themes of voyeurism, you know, Rear Window, also based on a story by Woolrich. You have an innocent person caught up in a plot, not of his making, very similar to a lot of Hitchcock films, North by Northwest being one of them. You have kids carrying ticking time bombs like Sabotage from his British days, spiral staircases like Vertigo, National Monuments, Saboteur, and a few others. You have a nefarious villain known for missing fingers, also like the 39 Steps. A little bit of trivia here for Hitchcock fans. There's a an elderly couple in this film known as the McCready's. They are played by real-life married couple John McIntyre and Jeanette Nolan. John McIntyre happened to be Deputy Chambers, and Jeanette Nolan played Mrs. Bates. Well, her voice anyway, in Hitchcock's original 1960 film, Psycho. So definitely a tie-in here that Franklin was probably very ecstatic to put in. And coincidentally, Henry Thomas would go on to play a young Norman Bates years later, in Psycho 4, which was kind of a made-for-TV movie sequel. Richard Franklin is not nearly as adept as Hitchcock at using the art of cinema to generate suspense, but he does have the formula down as far as how things normally would play out from a plot standpoint. So the action here gets a little bit sloppy here and there. It's often implausible, and it culminates in a climax involving an explosive device with a time ticker that somehow slows its count considerably whenever the countdown isn't shown directly on the screen. That's movie logic for you. Very common in films. Now, as much as I enjoyed a lot of these little moments of homage to Hitchcock, which happens to be my favorite director of all time, there are still many elements of Cloak and Dagger that either do make very little sense or are just a result of very little interest in tight, effective plotting. I'll give an example. You know, Jack Flack is a wholly imaginary being, and yet he's able to do things like open and close doors or move objects around. So is he imaginary or is he kind of come to life here and there? You know, the villains who are supposed to be professional assassins do things even complete idiots wouldn't do, such as choose some very public San Antonio sites in which to try to conduct their deadly business. Yeah, Brackenridge Park, the Tower Life Building, Paseo del Rio or the Riverwalk. You have the Alamo. You know, these assassins seem to like to shoot guns or throw knives in full view of dozens of eyewitnesses. But, oh my bad, they have silencers on their guns, so I guess no one's ever going to suspect. I also found it very curious that people in this film refer to the game cartridge as a tape. I somehow suspect that the MacGuffin changed from a cassette to an Atari game that made it seem a little bit more hip, but some sloppy editing of the script forgot to change all of the references. Kind of a speculation here. I still don't understand how this really happens. Now, as with many family films of the 1980s, the violence quotient I have to talk about. It exceeds the standards of what would pass as acceptable today for a PG-rated film by quite a bit. There is a lot of gun violence, there's some blood, there are a couple of scenes of vehicular carnage, you have a massive explosion at some point characters who actually get murdered 
that's likely going to make parents who may be exposing their children to this for the first time maybe feel a little bit uneasy as to where things likely will go. Now, I happen to have been a child of the 1980s, I can assure you. A lot of family films were very much violent like this, and we didn't think anything of it. It's just how films were. Now, many of the scenes involve Davy at point-blank range of a pistol. He tries to defuse a bomb sometimes. He roams the streets late at night trying to avoid predators. You have him getting abducted by strangers with evil intent on their minds. There's even a point in which the screenplay puts Davy in a position of having to actually murder someone. So for a PG-rated film, for a family film, definitely is a violent film. So I just want to mention that for those people who are a little bit more sensitive to it as far as what they want to expose their children to. I watched it with my six-year-old daughter. She got a little bit scared here and there, but I don't think that it was overly violent by her standards. So take that for what it's worth. Now, in the making of this film, the inspiration to tie in the MacGuffin into the world of games came in the initial talks with Henry Thomas and his mother. His mother remarked that her son was very much into playing fantasy role-playing games, and that gave Franklin and his screenwriter, Tom Holland, this thematic connection that they needed to their boy who cried wolf as this boy who had trouble distinguishing between fantasy and reality. So the angle kind of gave them a little bit more of an in as to where they wanted to go with the story. Now, while Henry Thomas was the top choice for Franklin in making the film, he envisioned for the part of Jack Flack and the father, Kevin Klein for the role. He really wanted to pursue him. Klein declined. So they moved on to Dabney Coleman. Franklin was initially resistant to Dabney Coleman because he felt that Coleman had kind of a connotation of being primarily in comedy roles, that he might make the film feel like an unintended parody, and he wanted it to be taken a little bit more seriously, even though there are some lighthearted moments in the film. So as a result, he was a little bit more protective, and there were conflicts during the filming between Franklin and Dabney Coleman as to how the role should be portrayed. In fact, Coleman hated working with Franklin. He's kind of come out to say... Although the end result does work for the film. I think Dabney Coleman puts on a good performance here. I think Richard Franklin does a decent job in directing. So I guess it worked out, even though they didn't really see eye to eye. Now, as for the video game itself, because I know a lot of people who listen to this show are really doing so for nostalgia purposes. You know, there's a video game in this film called Cloak and Dagger. It's actually a pre-existing game that Atari had in development. It was entitled Agent X. It was independent of this film. You know, they were looking for a game, and Atari ended up having this game, a spy game. So they ended up trying to tie it in. Dabney Coleman's codename in the movie was going to be called Agent X to tie it in with the narrative of the game beyond the title. They rebranded the game Cloak and Dagger to try to give this movie a recognizable tie-in at the time of its release. An arcade version of the game actually received this new title of Cloak and Dagger, albeit in a limited fashion. It really wasn't a hugely popular video game. It was only in a smattering of arcades out there. They used the conversion kit because, you know, times were tight in the video game industry in 1983. And while there had been an actual computer game that was developed for the Atari 800, that game never received a release for the home systems. The screens that we see of the game of Cloak and Dagger within the movie come from the coin-op version of Agent X, despite being shown as being played on the Atari 5200 home console shown in the film. I normally wouldn't go into that much detail, but I know that a lot of people would be interested in finding out more about the game itself. Now, I realize that Cloak and Dagger is probably a soft spot in many hearts of people who saw this as a kid. That's about the only people I would probably wholeheartedly recommend this film to. 
Although I do think that kids today, maybe a little bit older, maybe middle school, etc., would probably still cotton to it. My daughter actually liked it. She's six years old, so take that for what it's worth. But for adults, if you've never seen this before and you didn't grow up in the 1980s, You've probably seen a lot of this material before, maybe much better if you've seen the works of Alfred Hitchcock, who did it best. You know, maybe it's only for the nostalgia value and that 80s camp factor that makes it significant for a lot of people today. It's kind of like going back and playing Atari consoles themselves, the 2600, the 5200, whatever. It's fine to dust off and play once in a while and reminisce about the old days. A lot of people have a lot of fun with those retro games. Just the same way that they have fun with retro movies. You have fond remembrances of the times that you spent with those games. But, you know, for most people, it's probably going to be a dated curiosity. And yet, Cloak and Dagger is one of those films that you kind of like, even though you know it's not necessarily a great movie. And that's how it is for me. I bounce back and forth with how I feel about it as a critic, but as a fan of the 1980s, and as somebody who saw this when I was like 13 years old, I thought this was a pretty cool movie when I was a kid. It was rad, as I would say back then. So I have a lot of fondness for Cloak and Dagger that probably exceeds how I actually view it as a film critic, as a person who studies films and tries to look at things objectively. But from my point of view, it's a fun movie. There's a lot here that I really do enjoy. I like the father-son aspect of this film quite a bit. I think it's very revealing to see where that storyline goes between Jack Flack and the father and how the son views both of them. If you haven't seen the film, I won't spoil some of the surprises as to where that goes, and I I really do enjoy that. I like Richard Franklin as a director because I like Alfred Hitchcock, to be honest with you, and he very much contributes a lot of the same things that Hitchcock brought to his film, so I tend to watch a lot of his movies. Overall, I will recommend the film. I will give it three stars out of four. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. I definitely know that there are a lot of people out there that may have their own thoughts on this film. You can find my contact information at my website if you have anything that you want to say about this movie. In fact, just find my review of this on my website, and you can leave a comment there as well if you want other people to read it. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. As far as what I'm going to be reviewing next week, we're going to continue on with the dangerous games, the dangerous world of video games, with a classic for some. For other people, they probably never understood what was the big deal to begin with. It's a movie that I struggle with so much because there's so much I like about it and so much I don't. I'm going to revisit this film and see how I feel about it today. It's been at least a decade since I've seen it last. It is 1982's Tron from Disney, a movie that I know a lot of people love. My stepfather thinks it's a great movie. I remember Roger Ebert giving it four stars at the time, so it has its champions for sure. I wonder if I will cotton to it now, seeing it with my 80s podcast eyes and see if I find a lot more enjoyment out of it this time out. So Tron from 1982, if you want to watch that before I get to the review next week, check it out. Until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies. (laughs) 